Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Yo, what's good? This is Myron. I got my homegirls here, Jennifer and Jay. Hey, we are looking forward to today's conversation. Welcome, if this is your first time to the church, next whatever episode. <laughs> We're glad you're here. We're part of Leadership Network. And uh, today is going to be super dope. We've been on this whole series called Business Made Missional. In fact, keep your calendars locked for August 4th because we're going to launch a summit behind this as well. But we wanted to take time and make space for the urban conversation. So today's episode is called Urbanomics. I don't know about you, but if you got friends who do ministry in an urban context, um, imagine the struggle you're having now and multiply that times 1000. And more than likely in urban context, we are faced with the dilemma of how do we put food on our own table? And then also, how do we fund the ministry God has called us to? And so I have some good friends with us. My man, Brian Lee, my man, Edward Robinson. You will want to know these guys' names because they're doing some cutting edge things in the inner city. And I think that they deserve our attention. So what's happening, my man? How y'all doing? Great, great, man. It's good to be here. I'm super excited. Uh, can't wait for us to jump in and attack some of these topics and hopefully give people hope who are struggling to what is going to be impeding, an impeding uh, recession. Uh, gas prices are high. You know, uh, I see all kinds of things now when people go put gas in their cars. I see people out there talking to the gas pump. So I know that uh, in the hood, <laughs> we got problems coming. Right. For sure. For sure. Amen to that. Um, hello to everybody. Uh, looking forward to this conversation as we dig in on some of the details um, on a very necessary conversation regarding money and ministry and, and how that affects the urban church. Um, and as Pastor Brian Lee already um, sort of alluded to, the fact that we're going through a, uh, a national inflation and some national problems in terms of economics. And so, like I always say, you know, if there is um, uh, if, the, if it's raining in the suburbs, you know, there's a flood in the hood. So uh, wow. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You can't listen G. you cannot drop a bomb like that in the, in the living room of the church next conversation without unpacking what you just said. And then after that, we're going to pass it to the homegirl, Jennifer, man. Well, well, ju just real simple. Um, if if. If they're having some economic challenges in the suburbs, then the impact that we feel um, in the urban context is doubles, triple, quadruple um, that. And so if the, if the nation is going through something, then, you know, the way that that impacts urban communities um, is, is more intense. Um, and so that's that's all that means. Yeah. Rain, rainstorm in the suburbs. Hurricane, hey, I, hurricane, I, I, just want our, I just want our audience to know if you're tuned in live or you catching the replay. Put your seatbelt on because you are in for a conversation that's going to encourage you and definitely challenge you. And with that, I'm going to pass it to Jennifer. Thanks so much, Myron. And um, I'm excited to have this conversation with Pastor Bryant Lee and uh, Mr. Robinson, who just totally uh, kicked the door in starting out. So... <laughs> 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, for the both of you, talk to us a little bit about your story. Just give us a little piece of each, um, how you got started, what brought you into the direction that you're walking in right now? Well, I've been I've, I've been doing ministry in the hood for over 20 years. And uh, I grew up in North St. Louis, very poor community. Uh, I was a street kid, meaning I hustled. Uh, I grew my own stuff, harvested my own stuff, spread my own stuff. But when I got into the church, uh, most of the time in the urban setting, you know, there was $20 lines, $50 lines, $30 lines. And I just thought people was like hustling. Well, they weren't really hustling. They were trying to keep the lights on. And so when I moved to Humble and it was time to plant a church in, in, in a very uh, uh, poor community, very diverse community, immigrant community, I recognized that we could no longer simply depend on tithes and offerings for ministry mm -hmm. to happen in the hood. And I realized quite early on that, man, you can beat people down about giving, but you got to give people options. You know, uh, wow. I work with an organization that often says uh, poverty is a lack of options. And so when you're in the hood often, what's, what's missing is options. You know, like my man Ed said, in the suburbs, they have options for everything. You know, but in the hood, there's limited resources, there's limited opportunities. They're not people, you know, when, you're, when your local economic development organization is thinking about where it's going to launch its next big campaign, they're not thinking about MLK Boulevard, right? They're normally thinking about George Bush Boulevard, right? Because they want to go where they can get the, but they believe the highest return for their investment. What they don't understand is that those of us who've been in, in, in the urban ministry for a long time, we have learned by, by trial and error right? How, how to make ends meet and how to make right. things work. We've learned how to grind it out. We've learned grit. We've learned how to put our heart and soul into it. And so when you approach it from that perspective, you, you really learn that, you know, uh, nothing's impossible if people have passion, purpose, and opportunity. Oh, come on, man. That's good. What about you, Mr. Robinson? That's good, Doc. <laughs> um, so, uh, Edward Robinson, I'm a pastor at a church in Charlottesville, Virginia, Tiki Torchtown. Um, <laughs> but before before that, I, really where this all gets started for me is my time when I was in Camden, New Jersey. And so me and my family um, had moved to Camden, uh, New Jersey to be a part of Epiphany Camden. And at the time, that church was planted in 2011 by uh, Pastor Doug Logan, who's still my mentor. Um, and who now serves as vice president of Acts 29. And so when back then, when we when uh, I was a part of that church plant in 2014, I came in to be a part of that. And um, Doug just sat me down and explained to me all the which and ways which he had to run and jump through all kinds of hoops uh, to plant an urban church. And so what I began to sort of deduce from that reality was we don't just got a mission problem. We got a money problem. Oh. And because he, he was talking about how he had to get on the airplane and go um, shake his mission on moneymaker, so to speak, uh, <laughs> to go in, in front of all of these churches to raise some money. And um, and in the midst of all of that, that really I really realized that that put a level of pressure um, on urban pastors with trying to pastor a church trying to be a fundraiser and trying to raise their families. And so you're trying to raise a, you're trying to raise a family, you're trying to raise finances, and um, you're trying to raise the church. And so that, that, that reality, 
um, and sort of that tri-vocational ministry because <laughs> uh, you're trying to do a lot of things and too many. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm going to steal that, um, Robinson. I'm going to steal that. Uh, we're, we're, so, that so that's really where, for me, the way that just my brain works and my mind works, um, it really birthed a passion in me in the area of economics. And so uh, later on, I would go get an MBA and you would you always find me reading um, a book, something like this one, um, The Great uh, Evangelical Recession. You read, find me reading books about anything around church or finance, you're going to find me reading it. And so um, uh, and so what, what that does is for me is that it really tries to what I'm really trying to do is to get the urban ministers free from having to make money based decisions. And so the idea is for us to have to be free for the spirit to lead us, not just for the cash to lead us. And one of the one of the issues is that every dollar that we were fundraising, we realized came with a string attached. Oh, yeah. And so it, it came with a string of relationship that I had. to. I got to go fly to this church to go preach there because they given this amount of money. If I don't go, then I'm messing up that relationship. And then, then I got to fly over here. And so we, we're getting money from so different so many different um, areas that we end up looking like a puppet. Mm-hmm. with so many different strings attached to us, pulling us in different ways. The other thing that I began to notice, uh, which fueled this passion, was that a lot of times our, our money was coming from spaces that didn't always agree with our philosophy of ministry. And so when issues came up politically, um, then that really hampered relationships. And so the idea for me is simple. I want the urban minister to be free in order to do what Christ has called them to do. And a part of that is getting them free financially. Amen. I feel like we're only on question one, but already there's so many gems being dropped already. So I'm excited for this episode. So so I'm a missionary here. um, So I've been exclusively in urban ministry now for five years in total. Um, So um, Pastor Brian, you said that you've, have 20 years of experience in the five years I've been around I've learned so much so in that 20 years I can imagine how much you have learned but what's one thing about urban ministry specifically that you have learned over that 20 years I think courageous leadership you have to be willing to take risk and uncalculated risk you know in, in in the suburban context they take what you call calculated risk because they can almost pinpoint how things are going to turn out. You have to you have to run the risk of failure in order to succeed. And so that's first and foremost. And then you have to be willing. You have to be willing to take every ounce of everything that you have and push your chips to the center of the table. You're always pushing your chips to the center of the table. We're always in a win lose situation. There's never a draw for us. Right. And so and so some of the things that I've learned is, is that I have to constantly be thinking about how to create multiple streams of income for myself as well as for the ministry that I'm leading. I can no longer depend on a few faithful people to give. In fact, uh, studies tell us that we are facing the largest wealth transfer in America, right? And, and possibly in the world. And that the generations coming behind the baby boomer generation no longer sees the need for ministry. And one of the things that really probably stood out to me when you think about urban ministry in America is that uh, some of our vanilla ministries were very comfortable funding ministries overseas to people who look like me, but they would not come down the street and partner with the person who looked like me. Mm-hmm. And so and so we had to deal with all of those issues and really challenge people, right, that, 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 that it all belongs to God. 
right? And if that we're serious about seeing our communities transform, they're not going to be transformed at a local prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, one of my mentors says this best, and I love it. He says, salvation is free, but ministry costs. And we have to be honest with people by telling them, right, hey, when you click on the lights and you turn on the AC and you give out a bottle of water, none of that's free. Right. And, and, and we can't see ourselves. Here, here's the big lesson. We cannot see ourselves as second class citizens in this deal called ministry. Right. It's different. Right. And it's unique. But God has uniquely wired and gifted us in such a way. Right. That when we pull the creative gym together, that we can see amazing things happen. Here's what I tell people, you know, right now in the urban setting, we have to repurpose our buildings. We have to repurpose our budgets. and we got to give purpose to our babies all the way to our old ladies. We, we can no longer wait for the next generation to get to a certain age or a certain continent level. We have to start them early. Here's what I've learned. Dave Ramsey doesn't work in the hood because I don't have a 401 Wow. I don't have a 403B. I, I, I don't know how to budget money. Right. I, I, I don't I, I don't have a house in two cars. Right. I don't have a bank account. You know, I remember uh, some time ago when I came to Humble, I was working with uh, the Rush Car. I was trying to create a deal with them, right, where they would lower their fees so that we could get people in the hood bank accounts, right? And so, and so here's, here's a big lesson. The starting point in urban communities are different. In other words, my friends in the suburbs, they're already at the starting line, but I'm starting 10 paces behind them. But that's also a factor of what's happening in America over 400 years, right? We've always started at a different starting point. And in the urban communities, the starting point is always different. We have less resources. We have less help from, from, from local governments. We, we, our buildings tend to need more, more attention. Our people need more attention. It's the influx where our returning citizens come. You know, listen, here, here's one, one big deal, right? We can change the landscape of incarceration by creating sustainable entrepreneur programs for our returning citizens, right? Mm-hmm. If we could just teach our returning citizens how to take what was an illegal skill, flip that to a legal skill, not only will we create business in the urban setting, right? Not only will we create business, we will create our own jobs. But to do that, ministries have to see things in a much different way. We can, and we have to be willing to have strategic partnerships with people who don't always think like us. So I'm always mindful of the story in Luke chapter seven, when, it, when, when they come and talk about the centurion who built a synagogue for God's people, right? He probably was never going to step foot in that synagogue, but here, here was a strategic partnership in order for the gospel to flow further and faster than it would had they not had that strategic partnership. So as you can tell, I'm super passionate about it yeah. because on, what, what I learned was, what I learned was when I walk in a the room, there's an assumption based off of where I'm coming from and who I am, that I don't have any economic uh, girth, that I, that I don't have ec- economic intelligence. And then when I open my mouth, I heard things like, oh my God, you really know what you're talking about. What they really want to say is, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know brown and black people could be on this level. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I just want to, you know, like in the game, maybe between Boston and, and uh, uh, the other team, who is it, Curry and them? Like you just yeah, got let's call, a, yeah. let's call a timeout real quick. Let's call a timeout because everybody watching have, have they fainted? They need a water break because you just said a whole lot that I think I want to recap for a minute. And and one of the things that um, Ed said was that his desires to get urban ministers free from making money um, based decisions and 
the reason why this episode is is so is so good is because whether we're in urban or suburban, how many times do we make decisions based on money? Or rather the lack of money. We don't have this so we can't. And then when you when you think about how we in the urban context have to create multiple streams of income, Ecclesiastes 11 to King, King Solomon said, then all of a sudden we do have to wrestle with the realities of the strings that are attached. And then I love what Bryant Lee is, is bringing to the table. It's like in an urban context, the reality is that not, not just that we're 10, 10 steps behind the starting line, but that we have had to learn how to be resilient, how to strategize around repurposing our buildings. I love what you said, our buildings, our budgets, and from babies to old ladies, I'm still in that. And, and then the reality of recognizing that for us, urban, urbanomics means also that we're not saying that we're alienating anybody. We, we believe that everybody has a role in God's family, but that there are these strategic partnerships, such as Luke 7, when the Soterian comes and he builds, helps to build and finance what God is doing. I love this. And here's the reality. And I, I want to ask uh, maybe Ed, you know, when you think about like the financial strain of inner cities, um, like how, how how are you helping people to navigate that? And then, Brian Lee, I would love for you to follow up on that question as well. So um, I'll, I'll lay out some we got we got short term solutions and long term solutions to help a, uh ministry leaders navigate the financial challenges. And so uh, a couple of them. So in the short term, I have to say this too. Like we're doing this, it's, it's June, 2022. Uh, we may, we officially this week entered into a bear market in the United States. What that means is that stocks um, are down significantly, okay? Um, we are likely entering into a recession in this country, um, which means that there's, there is a financial storm brewing in the nation. And so we need for pastors and ministers to be very strategic in how they move, particularly over this next 18 to 24 months. Let, let, me, let me be simple like this. I, I'm here to be Joseph and a little Ooh. And Joseph, in respect to the house of Pharaoh in Egypt, had something to say about how they should function before the famine really hit. And so that, that really matters. So I just, I just want to lay that out. So here, here are a couple of uh, solutions and ways in which I think will be helpful for ministers in urban context. First of all, lead by example. So if you are looking to increase the financial health of your church, then you have to increase your financial health. That means it's very important that you pay attention to your income and your outgo, your, your personal budget. Because what happens is the habits that you practice are the habits that you reproduce in other people. So it becomes very important for us to lead by example and not to just practice what we preach, but as my sister said, you must preach what you've practiced. And so that becomes very important. So that, that's one thing I think. Um, so leading in that way, I, the other thing that I think is important is knowing your actual numbers of your organization, of your church. 
You have to know your numbers. You have to know how much you got in expenses and how much you got coming in income. And you have to know what percentage of expenses are going to what? Are we really spending that much money on ministry or are we more spending money on the building? Um, and so I think that that's that's very important to know your numbers, to know your expenses and to know what percentage. Like, for, for example, if over 65 percent of your church's expenses is due to salaries, you're already in a danger zone. So if you if you're spending over 65 percent of your money on church salaries, then you're, you're, you need to try to figure out how to get that cut down to about 45 to 55 percent. Is, is one thing. The other thing you need to, you need to pay attention to your cash reserves, right? All of that stuff. So there's a lot of numbers I, I could go through, um, but th- but that's that's the if you're going to be an overseer of something, then you got to know your numbers. The other thing that I think is important is, and this is this is very very tr- so so having a stewardship plan or a financial plan for your church will increase your church's survival rate by 178 percent. Pause. Listen to that. You will increase your chances of survivability by 178% simply by having a financial plan for your church. A plan that is based on reality, on some real projections, not just, you know, not just bloated and floated and all cloud is in the sky plan. You need a plan based on real projections that will help you to increase your survivability rate. And then, and then another thing, last thing I'll tell you in the short term, we can get to long term later is that we need to talk about this um, stewardship in our churches on a regular basis because it is a major point of discipleship in your church. How your people spend their time and how they spend their money says a lot about what they believe about Jesus. And so we have to teach our people that. Now, let, let, me, let me pause, though, and say this. Because many of us are serving in, in urban context, we're serving poor people. We, we cannot do what the suburban church does. They automatically go toward a conversation on giving. Don't do that, urban minister. Don't do that. Because what you've done is oh, the only thing that you've taught poor people how to do is how to give their money to you. That is wrong. That's wrong. If the only thing you teach poor people is how to give their money to you, that is called religious exploitation. That's the type of stuff Jesus gets upset about. So let's not do that. We want to teach our people to be generous, but we have to teach them some of the basic, as Bishop Lee said, they, our folks are not coming to the table with some basic financial understanding of how to work uh, in order to save, in order to invest, in order to pay down our debt. We got to get there. We want to teach generosity as a piece of the bigger picture of stewardship. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Let me jump in. We just don't want to teach generosity. We must model generosity from a corporate perspective. And here's what I mean by that. You know, so every dollar that comes in needs an assignment. But not only that, there should be there should be some dollars that come in that is going to be reinvested in the local community and in local people in our, whether they're a missionary, church planter or a member in the pew. Watch this. Catch this. Because this one people ain't going to hold on to or just a community member that's never going to walk through our doors. Because here's the deal. When the community gets better, we all get better. So we have to be for the whole community and not just for the neo-Christian community. Right. And so this is how we build bridges. And so and so obviously there are parameters on what we'll invest our dollars in. But the church should have its own uh, community development corporation, 
a separate nonprofit arm, a for-profit arm. If a church is not operating from multiple streams of generating, creating, and distributing, did y'all catch that? Distributing the revenue to others so that we can make what's happening in the urban context better, then we are failing our people. You know what? I love when the pastors stand up and say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, Z in Haiti. What I want to know is what we're going to do in Havistock down the street. I love mm. when you tell me you're going overseas to help somebody, but can we go across the street and help this brother and sister that we see obviously struggling, right? You know, and, and, and so not only do not only do we want to create economic opportunity for our people, here it is, we also want to create employability for our people. That comes back to say, man, who do we need to partner with long term, right? How do we need the businesses that already exist and those that don't exist now? If you don't have an entrepreneur incubator system in your church, you're you're missing your people. You ought to be teaching entrepreneurship, right, as a means of, of creating income and building a legacy for the next generation. That's just the reality of it. You know, I've, I've been listening for the last few years about Black Wall Street and this and that and this and that. But what I don't hear is people saying, how are we going to get at it? Right. The Bible says the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Now, here's the reality of that. Right. Poor people stay poor because, again, nobody is giving them tracks and lanes to run on. Nobody's building hope into them. I love it when I see a dude that has on a shirt that says I'm the neighborhood hope dealer. I always stop and say, how are you spreading hope? Because if all you got here, it is, guys. If all you got is John 316, I want to know after I come to Christ, how I'm going to feed my children. After I come to Christ, I love what's going to keep me from hustling? After I come to Christ, right, what's going to make my life better? Right. The gospel, the gospel is just not a gospel of Jesus getting out the grave. There are there are, there are there are long term implications of the gospel. When he says in John 10 that you might have life and have life more abundantly. What does that mean in the here and now? This is not the prosperity gospel. Right. right. But 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 here's the deal. What that means is, is that is that there should be opportunities for people within our ministries, whether it's our churches, our nonprofits, for them to partake and for them to get better. And we ought to become our own source of investment in our community. We ought to see people in our churches starting investment uh, investment clubs. We ought to be partnering. We ought to be championing that. We ought to, we ought to be championing small business in our churches. We ought to be, we, listen, we ought to be championing the dude who hustles, cleaning, cleaning uh, 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 flipping tires and T-shirts just as much as the person who has the local neighborhood corner store. Mm. So, 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 if, so, so there needs to be a corporate emphasis. Part of our vision has to be, I, we like to say Shalom. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken means wholeness. We cannot get to wholeness if part of our community is suffering and Man. nobody's paying attention to it. Somebody, John Adolph preached a sermon and said, somebody go get Leroy. Well, somebody got to go show Leroy that he doesn't have to keep doing it the way he's doing it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And can you talk wow. to us a bit about some advice then? Because, you know, some pastors might be listening to this and thinking, well, how am I going to help Leroy if myself and my church are struggling right now as it is? So this question is um, for both of you as well. So what advice would you give to pastors that are currently struggling to fund their uh, mission or to, to fund their mis um, ministry, sorry, or their church? What practical steps and advice would you give? Well, for, for, first and foremost, let me say this. We have no full-time staff at our church. We're all by vocation. 
Mm-hmm. Right. We're entrepreneurs, business owners. Uh, and, and that's first and foremost, like Ed talked about, when 65 percent of your budget is going to fund staff who are sitting in offices all day or at Starbucks on a computer. Well, that is that is that is poor stewardship. So the first deal is, is to look at your staff. Right. And, 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 and assess their gifts, talents and strength and, and, and start the process of helping them first and foremost, create multiple streams of income and reducing unneeded staff, right, uh, down and moving people who are on full-time salary, probably the part-time salaries, probably the stipends, right? So that's, that's the first deal, is to assess the church financial situation as it relates to staff. Secondly, is this here. You don't, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to know everybody and you don't have to be everywhere. Here's the deal. Choose, choose one or two things based off the gift mix in your current congregation that we can do super well and put all your attention and effort right there. What happens for a lot of guys in the urban context, they are cut and paste ministry. You see something that somebody else is doing and you think that I can do that. You, you can't do that, number one, because you don't have those same people in your congregation. Number two, that's not your community. You have to go out and assess the real tangible needs of your community and then say, hey, here's an area where we can win at consistently, right? And, and, and we can consistently bring hope to this area. And listen, start where you are, the Shamgar principle. Start where you are and what, when, what you have. Stop wishing that you had more or that you can do more. God knows how much you can handle. Right. And so if God has given you a ministry of 200 and not 2000. Celebrate that. Listen, our church has never been over 300 people. But 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 if you go back, we went back and we looked at the last 10 years, millions of dollars have flowed through our church and resources and product and dollars and in training to people in our community. So listen, it's not the so. So here's what I tell pastors. It's not the size of your ministry or how many people showing up on Sunday. It's the influence that your church can have in your community. If, if, if you have a large church and no influence, you're still small. Mm. Wow. I'd say I say that all the time. I say that all the time. I say, you know, if we're going on that old scorecard of attendance, attendance does not equal influence. No. It's, it's impact that was influence. I love what you're talking about. You're giving some practical steps on, on ways that we can get started. And when we talk about assessing like the fin- your financial situation, like think about creating some a dashboard whereby you can measure um, key metrics when it comes to finances and then like getting getting crystal clear on the one thing. I think in this season, um, less is more. Right. One of the things that Facebook yes. discovered over there, I don't know, over the last year, studies on the impact of COVID and how it's how it's affected Generation Z. And one of the things Generation Z um, left COVID wanting more was what Facebook would call raw authenticity. Like raw authenticity, the idea of being, un, un, you know, authentically raw about who you are, because obviously our circles got smaller. And when I think about COVID, politics and race, I've been saying for the last year, I feel like my circle has gotten smaller. And yet, although it's gotten smaller, the quality has increased. Right. And so speaking of friendships and relationships and circles, I don't I don't think either one of us, any one of us on this call um, got to where we are 
um, because of who we are, but because of somebody else. And so I'm curious, who, who has influenced you in this idea of urbanom- urbanomics, um, understanding finances, understanding creating uh, new, new revenue streams for the church, figuring out what you do well? Who would you point to or what, what resources would you point to that could really help our audience in this area? Um, I'll, I'll try to pull one off the shelf here. Um, and I'll just give credit to a brother. His name is Mark DeMoss. Um, he wrote this mm-hmm. book called The Coming Revolution of Church Economics. Um, that really uh, helped me to start on this path of research um, in this area. Uh, I'll definitely give him credit. I definitely have to give um, the guy I still call my pastor, Doug Logan, credit uh, for the the way in which he pioneered. And uh, I learned a lot from both his wins and his losses. Um, I'll also give um, some credit to a ministry that that I follow that I think is helpful is Crown Financial Ministries, a um, guy by the name of Chuck Bentley, uh, who has up that ministry. So um, the, get, get the book, The Coming Revolution in Church Economics. Um, check out Crown Financial and some of their uh, discipleship material regarding economics. I think it's helpful. Um, I'm actually, yeah. So, so that's that there's, there's a lot, there's a lot other, I'll, I'll give, I'll throw, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll cut it there. I'll cut it there. I can go on and yeah. on and on. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I, I, yeah. I, I would say a guy who greatly impacted my life is, is, is a long time quiet warrior in the faith was Dr. Tony Evans, uh, with the turnaround agenda and, and the work that he was able to do in the Oak Cliff community. Uh, he could have left the Oak Cliff community, but he stayed there. Uh, when you go there and you visit not only their campus, their thrift store, their, their, the, the, the way that they serve the community as a whole is an amazing deal. But years ago, uh, what started me on my journey was that I read a book by a guy named Floyd Flake uh, called The Way of the Bootstrapper. And it got me thinking, right? Floyd Flake at the time was a pastor in New York and he was a senator. Got me thinking uh, uh, early on, guys like Kirby John Cotwell and Windsor Village, they were doing some cutting edge, cutting edge ministry. And so I began to search out like-minded people around the nation who was, who was, who was saying, man, how do we best impact our community for greatness? There's a, uh, a guy in St. Louis uh, named Mike Jones uh, uh, has, a, has, a, has a church, uh, clinic, hospital, entrepreneur incubators, bought up half of all, all the stuff around the church. He's created a kingdom neighborhood in the midst of the hood, a high-level excellence things of that nature. And so uh, uh, where he's constantly giving back everything from scholarships to uh, entrepreneurship grants, partnering with the city, you know, uh, partnering with the state, all those things, you know, often. Can I ask you something, Bradley? Can I ask you something? This is kind of a, it's a side question. Um, I notice a gap. I notice a gap between uh, the older generation, millennials, and then Gen Z. So, like, when you throw out names like this, many, many of people my age or younger, for the most part, wouldn't even know these cats. And, like, the, the things that they've done. How do we bridge the gap with the wealth of information that, that you guys have shared, that you've learned from others, 
so that the next like so that the next generation generally can so that we can really so that our like our ceiling can really become their floor. Because I find mm. that I find that there man is this great gap. And and and, it, and it's like it's like generations are being pitted against one another. It's it's either either all y'all outdated and y'all y'all don't really get it, or ver- versus oh man, y'all don't want to listen. And so we got, you know what I mean? We got these opposing, almost opposing generations, and yet it doesn't seem like collectively like i know people are doing great things around the nation but it's like there's not this collective renaissance urban renaissance where ministries are thriving financially to accomplish the mission of god how do we fill the gap i think two things number one uh i think those of us who've been at it a long time have a responsibility for opening doors and putting the younger generation in rooms and in places to bring new creative ideas ideas why at the same time knowing ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun so so a guy like me i'm a bridge builder i stand between the two generations and so i have a responsibility to bring guys whose shoulders we're standing on into the room with these new guys who are going to carry the mission and the mandate for, forward and and, and 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 further and so i think i think i think it requires both of those i think the other deal is that when i think about guys like troy evans because i see her wearing a hustle pray eat shirt and I think about uh, Myron Pierce or, uh, or Maurice Winley up in New York or Carl Day in Philly. I think, I think we have to create a repository in the 21st century uh, that is accessible to everybody. Here's the problem that I have with, with, with this generation. It is a selfish generation. Bible declares, uh, naked I came in this world and naked I have to leave. I can't take anything with me. To leave a legacy, you have to be willing to deposit all of you. You have to leave it all, all here for the next generation. And so, uh, and, and so I think that we have a responsibility, both old and young, is to get everybody in the room and make space, here it is, for courageous conversations without demeaning one another. You know, the same deal is this here, Myra. The older generation doesn't believe that the young guys, the young cats got anything to offer because they think they just, they just you know, they're fooling themselves. But the reality is we were all full of ourselves at one point. Wow. The generation before us said that. Right. You know, and, and, and so unless unless we are intentionally handing off the baton. Right. The urban community will continue. Watch this and listen carefully. will continue to be raped by prospectors who can wow. come in, who can come in and take control because we're not handing the baton off. And, 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 and the older generation has a succession responsibility that they must hand it off to the next generation why, why, while they why still you, have time to do so. Why do you find it? I find it very hard. Again, I didn't grow up in the church. Like most people had the privilege of growing up in the church. My church was a street. But like, I, I, I find that older urban pastors are staying in the pulpit longer than they should. Can I talk about that, I mean, please? To, I mean, like, they 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 old and kicking. They should be kicking it somewhere in Waikiki or somewhere. But they hold on to that thing. And so when I hear you say, like, the passing on a baton, maybe, maybe there's some older urban pastors watching. Like, give us, like, give us some specifics on... 
on, on what, what succession looks like and how that relates. Because when you talk about succession, I think that that's what, what's a part of that is um, the financial piece. You know what I mean? So, so like how, like how can, how can yeah. older pastors pass the baton and how can younger pastors and leaders take the baton? Hey, hey, so before yeah, so, you jump in, be, yeah, before yeah. you jump in, let me say this. We've created a model where that older pastor can receive his current income until he dies because we've raised up an entrepreneurial model with the new younger pastor and he doesn't need the church to fund to feed him. Right. And so and so what we've tried to do is go into to churches and say, Pastor, you're 80 and blind. Let us. And you didn't you didn't invest any money because, you know, for many for various reasons, a lot of times it just wasn't poor stewardship. It was just I didn't know any better. And so we try to create an environment. We try to create an environment where where, where we create options for that older pastor to hand the baton off. And, and the only way for us to do that, I have to take a young guy like you or Ed and I got to make sure that I that I help you guys create enough income that y'all can come into that environment and your family won't start. Listen, Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. You don't have to sacrifice yourself. Go ahead, Ed. Mm. No, you, you've already hit on it. It's it, it, the reluctance to give up a position has everything to do with economics and identity. Wow. And so there are two things that you have to do. You, you, you have to figure out a way for him to retire financially. That's very difficult later on in the years. This is why I'm having conversations with um, guys now. I want to be able to work with pastors now to develop annuities, to get life insurance policies in place, and to get retirement plans in place now. Because what I don't want for you is for you to lead past your effectiveness. Man. So uh, there are too many pastors who are, who are leading past their effectiveness and past their season. Because they cannot afford to stop financially. That's the first thing. Second thing is they cannot afford to do away with the identity of preaching and pastoring. And so you have to repurpose them to uh, pastoral counseling, to pastoring pastors, you get, or writing a book. You, you have to repurpose them in their older age and honor them in their legacy. And you... And you have to get in early on getting them financially prepared to to not have that seat anymore. And so those are the two things that Bishop Lee were was getting at is that he is creating opportunities where these young pastors can come in and take the position without having to take the money away from this older pastor who has not financially who's not been financially cared for throughout the legacy of his pastor or her pastor. That is so good. Um, I'm sitting here soaking all this up. And it just reminds me of um, what we had at New Birth uh, with my spiritual father, the late Bishop Eddie Long. He always empowered us to do uh, economics amongst ourselves. And one of the things that, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about how he promoted circulating the dollar within New Birth. So we had our own chamber of commerce, um, we had a registry. If you had a business, you could sign up. If you did voiceovers. Um, if you did uh, limo service, you could be in this directory. 
and he encouraged us to all go to this directory and find out if we needed a service, see who does it in new birth first, then go yeah. outside. So I think in our churches, especially urban yeah. churches, we need to start doing that more, you know, support our own because it is so important to get that uh, financial ability up. Now I do want to ask a little sidebar question before I get to the other question, because with our current economic state, the recession, all this stuff, gas prices, digital ministry is now becoming almost a necessity like it was in the pandemic. Because you think about it, if you're going to church, and a lot of times we go to church, you know, more than five miles away from our homes. Gas is pricey. You got to choose now. I got to go to work Monday. Do I go to church? <laughs> do I pay my tithe? Or do I go, to, you know, get in the car and go to church? So talk about the importance of digital ministry in this climate. Yeah, a good friend of mine uh, has a very large church here in the city. And one of the things he did immediately during COVID was hire what he called a digital ministry team. Right. Their whole job is to keep people connected. Watch this here not necessarily to the church, but to each other, right? But to each other. And so in, in this climate, I think we're going to have to be comfortable with digital ministry. If, if, again, if your ego is stroked by how many people are sitting in front of you on Sunday, you're in a bad position, even, even, even not, not just because of COVID and the recession, the younger generation only comes to church every third Sunday anyway. Right. And so so at the end of the day. Right. And, and, and let me say this here, going back to what Myron talked about earlier, they don't like spin. What do you mean, Pastor, when you say spin? In other words, if your church is running a hunting, don't have a digital ministry that looks like you knew birth or Lakewoods. Yeah, be as raw as you can. Right. But be, but do it with excellence. And so and so some of the challenges that we have is that uh, there's a whole readdressing. Of, of, of ministry. I firmly believe that uh, as we move deeper into the 21st century and the years to come, churches will get smaller because they become more community oriented and more digitally driven, right? Uh, we've watched tons of churches here going to foreclosure in the greater Houston area, mainly large churches, right? Because, because they cannot afford, you know, when, when your light bill is $20,000 a month, and nobody's coming to the building and you've trained people that this is the place where it happens. Right. And so, so, so you're in trouble. And, and so that's the reality of it. Here's the other deal, Jen, that, pe that churches don't realize uh, when people are driving more than five miles, when they get older, they stop coming. Mm. They stop coming. So, 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 so here's the reality, right? We have to figure out a multifaceted, uh, strategy where we are attacking ministry and building people from multiple, from multiple beachheads. We can no longer rely on the old traditional model as the get them in, get them out model, because that metric will no longer work. And it definitely doesn't work for this younger generation. Wow. That mm. is good. Uh, Pastor Robinson, do you have anything to add to that? I just think we're, the times have shifted, obviously. Mm -hmm. And if we're not engaging people online and, and basically with this telephone here, and we're not, we're not thinking about ministry through the phone, 
then we're leaving a lot of leverage on the table. And here's the problem, though, because it can seem like, man, we're getting that pastors. It's hard to dream when you're in survival mode. Yeah. Mm. It's hard to move the ball up the field when you're just trying not to get tackled right now. And so um, as much as we want to dream and help pastors think through digital ministry, which I think is very important, particularly for our generation, um, we got to get out of survival mode long enough to dream and to create. Your creative mind is hampered by your survival. And so we, we, that's, and so there are things where we got we to gotta take things step by step and say, let's get out of survival mode long enough to dream and to create. Because the digital ministry requires creativity. Listen, I've been doing this long enough to know. There are no rules on digital ministry. There are no, if you think you figured it out by the next month and two months, right. you, that's a whole new thing. And so we got to get we got to have pastors who have the capacity to delegate and to dream. And when you're in survival mode, it just it usually doesn't happen like that. So we got to take things one step at a time. And, and let me say this. I'm, I'm, I'm an organizational management coach. A lot of our ministries need to be right sized. Right sizing is a business term where you restructure a ministry and uh, you restructure a business in order to make it effective and efficient. We it, we're in a season now in the church, particularly in the urban church where we need to go back in, bring somebody in, right? And don't, listen, don't wear your ego on your, on your chest. Bring somebody in and who can, who can honestly say, you know what, maybe y'all need to kill this, 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 and this. We have to, we have, if, if we're going to dream, we have to right-size our ministries to where we are today, right? And then ask God, ask God to give us, to give us, to give us a dream again. In First Chronicles 12, 32, Here's the verse I love, and, and, and people, people run past it. It's nested in there. It says, this here, it says, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, right? Here's the reality. We have to stay up on the latest and greatest things that are happening because it's not just the digital technology. It's all of technology. The world is moving at a much faster pace than the church can currently keep up with, Right. And, and, and you will not be able to keep up if you're not willing to delegate. Right. So, so here, here's what I try to tell pastors. Right. Find the one thing that you're good at. Right. And then staff around you with others. And, and, and don't be afraid that, that you might have a Myron Pierce on your team that's a lot smarter and quicker and sharper than you. Thank God for that. Don't have a Saul mentality when David shows up. Man. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's so good. And let me let me give a practical tip on that. What what we need, what we have to do is to create uh, media missionaries. Mm-hmm. And what that requires good, good. is what that requires is discipleship. When I was when I was pastoring in Florida, I created a whole media team that included digital ministry, video, graphics, copy, all, the whole ordeal. But it was important for me to instill and install in them discipleship and the necessity of kingdom and mission, not just having conversations online, not just chasing likes and posts. Mm-hmm. But that's very important because we can get caught up in the details of the Canva color and all like all, and those things matter, but they matter to the point by which we are ex- we are evangelizing and connecting and making much of Jesus on these platforms. 
And so if we're going to do digital ministry, then we have to do it in a way that is honorable to Jesus, that is um, an, an appropriate way to the kingdom of God with a purpose in mind beyond follows and likes. And I think, I think, I think, so I'm a little older guy. And this, and this is what I would tell, I would tell pastors. You have to figure out how to move from the digital space to the third space in your community. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? So the digital space can be as broad as the Internet. But every young person or every person who's in that digital space has a third space in the community. You have to connect your digital space to the third space so that you can have, watch this here, real flesh pressing relationships. Did you notice that, that the church is not the third space? The third space could be a whole lot of places in your community, which goes back to the need for people like Jade, who are urban missionaries, that you should be willing to deploy. Listen, listen, if we're not thinking about raising up the next generation, equipping them, investing in them and sending them, then we are failing the church. And it's just a matter of time before the church in America and in the urban communities look like the church now looks in Europe. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because that process of what we do with the next generation requires money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I can't believe we only have five minutes left, but <laughs> my, my, I think my, my landing question would be, you know, are there, are there anything, is there anything um, that, that you wanted to share that you didn't get to share? And then for our audience, I'm sure you want to connect with Bryant, Lee and Edward. They're going to make they're going to get their information to you. If you want to be a part of it, like this ongoing dialogue, then please send me an email info at myimpress.com so we can get you connected. But but talk to us about like, what is it that you wanted to share that you didn't get to share? And then uh, and then we're going to land. I'll, I'll end with this. I think pastors have to be willing to invest in the next generation, even if it doesn't benefit the local church. Mm. So if you if you're really kingdom minded, you're going to invest in the next generation, even if it doesn't benefit the local church. We've been trained to only invest in things that benefit us. And that's not how Jesus operated. That's not a kingdom mindset. Wow. What about you? Edward? I, love, I love that. Um, For me, I think what I want is for our urban ministers to please get out of the poverty mentality. Um, Some people have swung the pendulum from prosperity gospel all the way to poverty gospel. And Mm. I would say that neither one of them is where we want to be. Wow. And so what what we want is a gospel that empowers us to be who we are as sons and daughters and inheritors of a coming kingdom. What that means is is that what I desire is for people, for us to be able to walk in the authority that Christ has given us and to be expected of what we need in order to accomplish what he sent us to do. And so what happens is when we get into that poverty mentality, we start to expect less. And the story of the widow's oil you'll learn that God provides oftentimes our expectation levels. And so the the woman with the widow's oil, when she said that we didn't have any more baskets to put the oil in, the vessels to put the oil in, the oil stopped flowing. And so don't allow for God's oil to stop flowing 
because Man. you stopped expecting it to flow. That's it. Oh my God. The time went by so fast and it was just listen, jam-packed. <laughs> jam-packed with information, wisdom. Um, I, I'm just honored to be in the presence of greatness uh, amongst these two men of God that have brilliant minds. And um, this has been very insightful. So real quick, in our last two minutes, tell us how we can connect with you all online. And um, if you have any books, any seminars uh, that you have going on, let us know what you're doing uh, during this time. Bishop, go ahead, Bishop. You can connect with me at the T H E H E C dot org or uh, Pastor Bryant T Lee uh, on digital media. Uh, but here's what I want to say uh, if you must connect with one of us, connect with Ed. Get Ed to your church, to your community, to your small group, to your conference. This young man, this young man right here, is going to help the urban church change a generation. But in order for that to happen, you got to invite him in. And so I want to encourage you to get Ed out to your group so that he can bring the heat. What you guys got today is about it's a snippet of what God has has blessed and birthed this young man with. And so I, I want to encourage that. I want to encourage that big time. Marilyn, I know you got a big conference coming up in, in August. Man, listen, if I could, if there's anything I can do to help Ed be a part of that and get there, we want to do that. Love it. Wow, man. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm humbled by that. Um, Bishop Lee's a dear friend of mine, y'all. So he, he's the reason why I'm here today. Uh, super, super humbled by that. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm Edward J. Robinson um, on social media. Just Edward J. Robinson. Um, I'm looking to, looking forward to be a part of that conference you got coming up. There's another one um, I'll be helping out with uh, uh, as a member of Acts 29 called Lead the City. That's in Chicago, September 9th and 10th. And um, and then I'm willing to show up and, and be a help to your church. So just just hit me up at J. Robinson social media. Hey, can, hey, hey, could you could you give a give us an email to contact yet? Absolutely. Yeah. So E. Robinson. Yeah. E. Robinson at PorticoCville.org. P-O-R-T-I-C-O-C-V-I-L-L-E dot org. PorticoCville.org. E. Robinson at Portico Seville. Awesome. Well, you guys, that's been our time today. We pray that everything that's been said has been inspiring, and it's definitely um, a pleasure to have you all with us. So until next week, we'll see you later. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.